mindfulness mode. She exercised most days and she was always interested in new ideas and concepts. And even though she was in her 80s, it was like she had the brain of a 30-something. Of a Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce, Bruce Langford. So good to be here with you. Today's episode is about mindfulness, memory, and moodiness. Have you noticed that people you interact with lately are more moody than you remember? Does it seem like there are more people you're exposed to who are experiencing depression, discouragement, a lot of feelings of negativity? How about you? Do you seem to be having more down days? You know, days when you just feel like your inner bully is winning? Well, I talk about that inner bully quite a bit on the show, and the reason is because those negative self-voices play a big role in a lot of people's lives, mine included. And a lot of my coaching clients, that's often where we end up at. It's where we start at, we work on it, and then we conclude by talking about, hey, are you now identifying those, those voices? Are you now noticing that inner bully and dealing with it? Well, this is the perfect day to talk about moodiness, your inner bully, and how that self-talk is related to mindfulness. And I say it's the perfect day because, well, we've been in this pandemic and we've been kind of gradually moving through it. Well, mindfulness is all about how we think. And you know that. Thinking in the present is mindfulness, but there's so much more to it than that. Many of our thoughts are connected to our memory. And I know a lot of times I haven't kind of put that together Every time we decide to do something, we depend on our memory to know how to do it. We depend on our memory to know whether we've just brushed our teeth or whether we were just about ready to start brushing our teeth. You might not have thought about it before, but our memory has a lot to do with how we see ourselves, how we define ourselves as a person. A lot of the ideas I'm sharing with you today are from Lisa Genova. She's a neuroscientist and she's written a fascinating book called Remember, The Science of Memory and the Art of Forgetting. So a lot of times we tie our well-being to memory. We think our brain is healthy and thriving if our memory is sharp. And the opposite is also true. If we feel like we're forgetting things, we start to wonder, you know, about our brain health. We wonder about our mental health sometimes, kind of think, oh, is this age? Is this, you know, is this dementia starting? Or, you know, we can have all kinds of thoughts in response to forgetting things. Well, yesterday morning, I got dressed. I came downstairs. I was about to get in my car to drive to my studio. And I realized I didn't have my wallet. Where on earth is my wallet, I'm thinking to myself. And I, I mean, I'm like, okay. I, well, the thing was, I knew I had had it a few minutes before that because I had remembered dropping it on the floor. Some credit cards and some ID fell out on the carpet. And so my memory of that was crystal clear. And this was only like four minutes later. I mean, I remembered I had bent over picked up the, the cards, put them back in my wallet, and I thought I put the wallet in my, my pocket like I always do. But now, 
my wallet was missing. And I'd already searched the kitchen. I'd searched all my pockets. I'd gone back upstairs twice and still no wallet. Well, probably due to mindfulness, I just kind of, I took a breath. I remained calm. Like I know in the past, I might've started to get really filled with anxiety and kind of like, what's the matter with me? What's, you know, and instead of that, because of course that stresses your brain and causes you to not be able to think even as well as you were. So I was able to remain very, very mindful and calm. And I kept looking. I went back upstairs with my son and we both looked and suddenly I spotted it sitting on a brown footstool where I absolutely never leave my wallet. But I realized I must have set it there without thinking as I grabbed some books to carry downstairs. And that's when I started to wonder if the pandemic is somehow affecting our memory and our brains and, and how we think. And according to Lisa Genova, the answer is definitely yes. And she explains, she says, there are two main reasons why you know, constant stress like a pandemic can mess with our memory. And the first reason has to do with the way our brains are wired. The second reason is related to stress and how our brains deal with that stress. So the first reason has to do, like I said, with how our brains are designed to remember things. When we remember what is meaningful, our brains go to what is new, what is emotional, you know, those emotions. If, if emotion is tied to something, we tend to have way more chance of remembering it. We don't remember the same old habitual routines, the same things we do day after day, week after week. Those tend to not stick in our memory so much. So that's why you might remember your first date, but not your 10th. Now, I don't remember the details of brushing my teeth this morning or taking a shower. It's the routine things that we don't generally remember. And so here we are in a pandemic, and many of us are confined to our homes. We're going out way less. We're not able to go to concerts and plays and movies and, and games and big events and dinners and parties and a lot of those things like we did pre-pandemic. Those are the sorts of things that make memories and that for many of us, that they give us a zest for life. We get excited as we look forward to these events. And so our brain is kind of activated that way. And then we enjoy them as they happen. And of course, that's mindfulness completely, enjoying the moment and just taking it in and feeling the emotions and, and being there. And then we enjoy the after buzz the feeling of elation of having recently enjoyed something different, being with different people, seeing different, different events, hearing the sounds, smelling the smells that went with it. It all feeds our memory. And so now that many of our lives are more mundane, our brains are forgetting. And a lot of us don't even remember what day it is anymore because every day is more or less the same. And that's the first part of this. Now, the second reason, like I mentioned, has to do with stress. And the way we're evolved as a species is that we're designed to deal with short, quick examples of stress. 
Like suddenly you're being chased by a lion. We instantly move into a fight or flight response. We're designed to deal with that like any other emergency, a quick reaction. Our brains and bodies react instantly to this kind of emergency. So your brain and body go into a sudden, immediate action. Adrenaline and cortisol kick in and the body's response mobilizes glucose and your muscles immediately have extra power, more strength. Your brain actually stops thinking because it's not a time to weigh pros and cons of what's going on before you run away or face the predator. You just instantly act. And then once the threat is over, assuming you've survived, the cortisol, which got turned on by this event, then acts on receptors in your brain to shut the whole sequence off. So what happens when we experience chronic stress? Well, Lisa Genova explains what happens. And what she explains is that when we've been dealing with something like a pandemic, which has gone on and on week after week, month after month, for over a year now, for many, the threat of coronavirus and the need to be constantly wearing masks and remaining socially distant and hearing news reports all the time about new threats of COVID-19 and of people dying. And well, for a lot of people, all of this adds up to stress. And in fact, without realizing it, a lot of us are experiencing chronic stress. So it's not suddenly a predator is chasing us. It's not something that's suddenly happening and then, and then the threat goes away. It's a constant threat of danger. And it's in our thoughts and we become so used to it that we don't even realize it. It's the combination of uncertainty, lack of control, and social isolation. And those are the top three major psychological stressors. I'll repeat them. Number one, uncertainty. Number two, lack of control. And number three, social isolation. All of which a lot of us are experiencing. And I know for me, I've been experiencing all three of these. So the effect is cumulative. We can handle it for a while, but now it's been over a year. And according to Lisa, the feedback loop can... Well, she, she puts it this way, the feedback loop can break the receptors of your brain that normally cortisol acts on to shut off. We get a hit of cortisol and normally the stress is gone and we go back to being a relaxed human again. Instead of that, your body just keeps dumping adrenaline and cortisol, adrenaline and cortisol... A little bit of stress can help you rise to the challenge of whatever you're doing, like maybe you're having a meeting with a big client or you have an exam coming up. In those cases, you need to be a little stressed so that you're on your game, so that you're ready for action, you're focused. And if you're driving and a deer or a moose suddenly runs across the road in front of you, you get a hit of cortisol and then you respond instantly. So during fight and flight, the adrenal glands produce something called catecholamines. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right. They're created in the brain stem and the brain. And I remember I was driving, I think, well, I know it was like 6.45 in the morning. I was driving to uh, a meeting that I was having, a BNI meeting I was going to. And I was excited to go and meet my friends and 
And uh, it's, it was just a meeting that I loved. Every Wednesday morning, I would go to this meeting. It started at 7 a.m. And I'm just driving along and not driving very fast either, just driving around along this road to get to the meeting location. And suddenly, a deer ran right out in front of me. And I mean, I, I did hit the brakes, but I, I was so close. It was so close to me that, you know, there was nothing I could do. It, it and I, my vehicle and, and that deer collided. And it, uh, it was not a good situation because it, you know, the deer did not survive and uh, my vehicle was badly damaged. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how, how you feel when that happens because, you know, these brain chemicals are released and you don't, you can't really predict how you're going to feel. And I felt, you know, I felt bad for the deer. I felt bad for my vehicle. I felt bad for being late for the meeting, you know, like all sorts of thoughts and emotions. But continued stress will actually shrink your hippocampus. And hippocampus, you might have heard of this word before, that it's a part of your brain and it's, it's where new memories are formed. So continued stress makes this part of your brain smaller. And here's where mindfulness takes a role. Things like exercise, meditation, yoga, deep breathing, being in nature, all of these things that we're talking about on mindfulness mode, they all have been shown to increase the size of your hippocampus. They stimulate what Lisa explains is neurogenesis. And all of these mindfulness-related activities cause the birth of new neurons. So when you hear that scientific side of it, how exciting is that? That is really, in my opinion, really cool that you can cause the birth of new neurons by doing some of these things, by doing yoga, by doing meditation. Like no wonder it feels so good once you've started to do these for a period of time and made them a habit. You know, when you, you, know, when you meditate for maybe, maybe a week and you haven't really created the ongoing habit, well, it's not going to make you necessarily feel that much better. I mean, maybe it will, but it's the, the long-term uh, effect that's really impressive. So we can take control and we can do things to combat the fact that, well, we can't get rid of the pandemic. That's not something that we can control, but we can individually change our brain. Now here in Canada, we're, we're dealing with, you know, the pandemic still in a big way. Wherever you are, I hope you're not. I hope that in your area, things are more under control and, and you're feeling like, hey, you know, that pandemic is kind of behind us, but be careful, you know, don't, don't uh, jump to a conclusion that isn't scientifically proven, you know, because I would hate you know, for you to be in a situation like some countries are where they felt that, hey, we're out of the woods, everything, everything is good, we can just forget about all that and we can move forward. I hope you can move forward, believe me. We can actually change our brain's response and our resilience to what's going on in this world and take control by doing 
these things that I mentioned by getting out into nature where it's possible, by exercising, by doing yoga, by doing uh, meditation. We can save our brains and our memories from being vulnerable to the stress that this pandemic has created. Now, I talked to my son about memory, and he reminded me of this episode on YouTube that, that he shared with me a couple of months ago, and then I remembered it because it was just fascinating. The episode is called Illusions of Time. Illusions of Time, and it's by a guy named Vsauce. So you can just search that up on YouTube very easily. V sauce, just how it sounds. Illusions of time. And he talks about how we remember the times of our life that are eventful. Things we enjoy, places where we're having a really good time. Then we look back and it seems like those times passed slowly. So he brings up a lot of interesting ideas about memory. And a lot of this is linked to mindfulness, even though at first... You might not realize it, but it's a fascinating episode. Now, now let's move on and let's talk about sleep. Because not only are a lot of people experiencing stress, so many people are having sleep issues as well during this pandemic. And of course, it's all related. Here are two things that happen while you sleep. First one, your brain is binding your thoughts into long-term memories. So a lot of people think of sleep as just an unconscious state of doing nothing. But your brain is actually very busy while you sleep. So here's what's going on in your brain. All of the events that happened today, everything you learned, everything you experienced today that you want to keep, things that you paid attention to, things that were meaningful and emotional, all of those things are what your hippocampus is going to bind into long-term memory. So your hippocampus does that job while you're sleeping. And so if you don't get a full night's sleep, you'll wake up the next day and your hippocampus won't have had enough time to finish its job. And so your memories either won't be fully formed or they might not be formed at all. And so you won't really remember very clearly what happened yesterday. And if you're exhausted today because you didn't get a full night's sleep, you're also going to be feeling low and lacking energy, and you won't be able to pay full attention to everything. You'll notice when somebody's talking to you, you're hearing the words, but you don't necessarily know what they're actually saying. You're having an attention issue. You're feeling like you're not able to focus on what's going on. You're not able to remember it later because it's not possible for your brain to form a memory of it. Now, the second thing is that while you sleep, there are what's called glial glands in your brain. That's G-L-I-A-L, glial cells in your brain. And Lisa Genova explains that these are like the janitors. That's how she explains it. She says they're the sewage and gestation department. They're busy clearing away all the meta meta metabolic debris that accumulated during the business of being awake. And one of the things it clears away is a protein called amyloid beta. And if the amyloid beta is not cleared away, here's the problem. It's sticky and it'll bind into itself and form plaque. And if you accumulate enough amyloid plaque, you'll trigger Alzheimer's disease. 
So that's kind of scary. So a good night's sleep is helping you prevent getting Alzheimer's disease. Now she's emphasizing that this point is not to freak people out because it doesn't happen overnight. It takes like 15, 20 years or more of this amyloid plaque accumulation to trigger Alzheimer's. So the science tells us, the science tells us that we're, if we're getting enough sleep, on average, like seven to nine hours of sleep a night, that we're doing just great. And I mean, if you have the occasional sleepless night, it's not a big deal, but that, that's what we need, an average of seven to nine hours of sleep. So my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, oh my gosh, her brain was always so sharp. She had an un believable memory and she didn't miss a thing it seemed like you know she was very very sharp very on the ball she did puzzles and word games and she exercised most days and she was always interested in new ideas and concepts and even though she was in her 80s it was like she had the brain of a of a 30 something i was always amazed she would she would always asked me lots of questions about a new online project I was doing or a conference I was speaking at, you know, some of the different speaking engagements I went to. I know that a lot of people actually do puzzles and word games to exercise their brain and, and they're hoping to avoid dementia or Alzheimer's and she definitely avoided it. Now, Apparently, Lisa, Lisa Genova in her book, she says this doesn't actually help avoid Alzheimer's. This isn't the way the brain works. Now, doing those kinds of activities do give your brain practice at retrieving information, which is excellent. But she explains that what really helps keep our brain vibrant and helps us potentially avoid memory problems and avoid Alzheimer's and, and some of these dementia problems is when we're constantly learning new information. And she explains how that's completely different from retrieving information. So you can continue to learn anything in your whole life. You could learn a new language, learn to speak Spanish. You could learn to play a new musical instrument. Learning new skills and gaining new information is what benefits our brain in a huge way. And when the pandemic ends, you know, you can go on vacation, visit a new city, meet new people. And all of these kinds of things will help keep your brain active and fresh and filled with new memories. But don't be surprised if you still forget some of the simplest things, like the reason why you walked upstairs or where you set your wallet or something like that. Back in 2017, I interviewed a memory expert, and his system is called the Magnetic Memory Method. His name is Anthony Mativier, and his interview is available at mindfulnessmode.com slash 248, episode 248. He talked about our memory and stress, and he explained that it all begins with recognizing and then overriding overwhelm. He teaches how to learn new languages and memorize poetry and basically how to supercharge your memory. Check out his episode. He's, he's a fascinating man with great ideas about mindfulness and memory. Again, it's episode 248. So check that out. Just remember that your brain isn't perfect and it's not intended to be. It's designed to forget lots of things and we need to mindfully remember the important things like 
where I left my wallet or glasses. So let's be mindful and not judge and shame ourselves over forgetting things that our brain is not wired to remember in the first place. Don't panic and be so fearful if you forget things because forgetting is a normal part of being human. So now that you know how mindfulness and memory are connected and how we can help avoid moodiness, depression, and stress by exercising, using meditation and yoga, doing deep breathing and being in nature, all of those things will boost the size of your hippocampus. Wow, isn't that cool? So we do have control. So thanks for listening to Mindfulness Mode today, Mindful Tribe. Have a great week. All the best to you. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Hey, Erica, we really appreciate you, and Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer or a coach or a counselor or someone who just loves helping people, Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com. And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks, maybe lose weight, maybe quit smoking, maybe it's something else, I would be so thrilled to work with you. Don't put it off. Do it right now. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. That's bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And we will get you on track and we will help you to move toward the goals that you've always wanted to achieve. So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.